This morning we're going to consider the ram, the goat and the lamb. The ram, the goat and the lamb. And we're looking at Daniel chapter 8. I want to give you quite a recap here because it's all coming together and we can't just drop in on one chapter and forget everything else that has happened. It doesn't work that way, especially not with the book of Daniel. So by way of recap, in Daniel chapter 7, the chapter before we're considering today, we saw that Daniel had a dream in which he saw four beasts rising up out of the great sea and it was deduced that the four beasts represented in time order the following empires. First of all, the Babylonians, then the Medo-Persians, then the Greeks and fourthly, the Roman Empire, which was described in terms of it having ten horns, with another horn rising up and uprooting three of the other ten horns. The horns represented kingdoms that proceeded from the Roman Empire, and as I've said before, often in the Bible, horns represent powers. So that fourth beast, that mighty beast that was different from all the rest, that rose up from the sea uh, is the Roman Empire with its ten horns, ten kingdoms that proceeded from it and then a horn, another horn that came up from those ten horns and uprooted three of them. Also in his dream there was the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man was brought before him and given dominion and glory and an everlasting kingdom. That wasn't difficult to work out. The Ancient of Days, Almighty God. And the the Son of Man who was brought before him is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ who was given power and dominion and glory having completed his work of redemption when he made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. After that humiliation came the exaltation of Jesus, the Son of Man, when he was presented before the Ancient of Days. As for that final horn or kingdom that arose and uprooted three of the other ten horns, it is referred to as he. And in chapter 7, verse 25, we're told that he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints for a period of time that is fixed by God. That horn would appear to be the man of sin, the son of perdition, spoken of by the Apostle Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul explained that the man of sin shall set himself up as God until such time that the Lord Jesus Christ comes again and consumes him with the spirit of his mouth and the brightness of his appearing and destroys him completely. And as I pointed out last time, when Jesus comes again, there won't be a final battle. I don't know if you've got that idea in your mind that there's going to be one massive final battle when Jesus comes again. Not at all. Jesus will simply blow on the enemy 
and destroy it. This morning we shall look at the next chapter, chapter 8, which tells us about a vision that Daniel had two years after his dream about the four beasts. In this second dream, Daniel saw a ram that had two horns, one greater than the other. The ram, it charged to the west, the north and the south. Now there's a clue in that already. If it's charging to the west, the north and the south, that tells me that it's coming from the east. Okay, just work that one out. No other beast could stand against it. As Daniel thought about it, he saw in his vision a male goat with a single horn that came from the west without touching the ground and it struck the ram, breaking its horns and casting it to the ground. At the height of the goat's power, its horn was broken and in its place four other horns grew. We're not going to go into too much detail this morning where we will consider the, 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 the ram that came from the east with the two horns, one greater than the other, and we'll consider the goat that came and destroyed the ram. First of all, we'll consider the ram. Look again at verses 3 and 4. Then I lifted mine eyes and saw, and behold, there stood before the river a ram which had two horns and the two horns were high but one was higher than the other and the higher came up last. I saw the ram pushing westward and northward and southward so that no beast might stand before him neither was there any that could deliver out of his hand but he did according to his will and he became great. There's no need to speculate about the identity of the ram with the two horns, one greater than the other. In verse 20, the angel Gabriel told Daniel that it was the Medo-Persian Empire. As such, it seems reasonable to say that the two horns, or powers, represented the Medes and the Persians. Initially, the Medes were the stronger of the two, But later, the Persians became greater under Cyrus and his successors, hence one horn being greater than the other. Seems to make sense, that one, yeah? One of the beasts spoken of in verse 4 that could not stand before the Medo-Persians would, in time to come, be the Babylonian Empire. Now, let me just put things into perspective for you here. Daniel, the Babylonian Empire was the empire of the day when Daniel had this dream. And four of the kingdoms or the powers that are destroyed by the ram would in time to come be the Babylonian Empire. Of which King Belshazzar was in the third year of his reign according to verse 1. As such, Daniel's dream was foretelling the eventual destruction of the Babylonian Empire and we know from chapter 5 that just hours before the Babylonians were conquered by the Medes and the Persians that King Belshazzar was having a boozy party and fingers appeared and wrote upon the wall a message of judgment upon the king 
and upon his kingdom. Verse 4 tells us that the ram did according to his will and became great. Apparently, the Medo-Persian Empire imposed taxes at will on those it conquered and it became exceedingly rich. We get a flavour of the extreme wealth of the Medo-Persian Empire in the first chapter of the book of Esther, where you can read of King Ahasuerus showing off his riches over a period of 180 days. That's a long time and no doubt a lot of riches to show off. We'll now consider the goat. We'll look at verses 5 through to 7. And as I was considering, behold, a goat. A goat came from the west on the face of the whole earth and touched not the ground and the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. And he came to the ram that had two horns which I had seen standing before the river and ran unto him in the fury of his power. And I saw him come close unto the ram, and he was moved with chola against him, and smote the ram, and brake his two horns. And there was no power in the ram to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground, and stamped upon him. And there was none that could deliver the ram out of his hand. Therefore the he-goat waxed very great, And when he was strong, the great horn was broken and for it came up four notable ones towards the four winds of heaven. And out of one of them came forth a little horn which waxed exceeding great toward the south, toward the east, towards the pleasant land. Again, there's no need to guess the identity of the goat. We didn't have to guess the identity of the ram, that's the Medes and the Persians. As for the goat, we're told in verse 21 by Daniel that it was the Greek Empire and that the great horn between his eyes was the first king. In the previous chapter, we saw the Greek Empire being described as a leopard with four wings back in chapter 7. Perhaps you can imagine that if such a creature existed, a leopard with four wings, it would move very swiftly indeed. Here in chapter 8, the Greek Empire is described as a goat that had power and moved so swiftly that its feet did not touch the ground. That speed and power aptly describes the first king of the Greek Empire, Alexander the Great. History tells us that he was undefeated in battle and is widely considered to be one of history's most successful military commanders. He became the standard against which leaders such as Julius Caesar and Napoleon Bonaparte measured themselves. We're told in verse 7 that the goat struck the ram and broke its two horns and that the ram could not stand before it. That depicts what would, in time to come, be the conquering of the Medo-Persian Empire by Alexander the Great, who was symbolised by the great horn 
on the goat. But then look what happened in verse 8. Look at verse 8 again. Therefore the he-goat waxed very great. And when he was strong, the great horn was broken. And for it came up four notable ones towards the wind of heaven. Verse 8 refers to the death of Alexander the Great, who having achieved great military success, apparently died at the tender young age of 32, quite possibly from a fever. His death was sudden, he had no heir and successor, consequently the Greek Empire was divided into four other powers, symbolised by the four other horns that came up out of the goat when that first horn was broken. We can consider the rise and fall of mighty empires now. The rise and fall of mighty empires. Up until now, what we've been considering is the rise and the fall of the Medo-Persian Empire and then the Greek Empire. Two great earthly powers that were sometimes brutal when gaining people and territory. But we have already considered those two two empires in quite some detail in the previous chapter, along with the Babylonians and the Romans. Also, as has previously been pointed out, when you study history, you will see that there have been many other beasts that have risen and they have fallen. In fact, none of the empires that we've been considering conquered anything near as much as the British Empire, which at its peak controlled a quarter of the world's population and land area. Where is the British Empire now? And even as I speak, I don't know if how you see it, if you're reading the same news reports as I do, but I believe that uh, we're seeing the, the, the fall of the United States Empire. At, the, at, this ti- at this time in history, the great American empire is on the decline. We can focus more on the fall of those mighty empires than on their rise. Look at what happened to the once mighty Medo-Persian empire that was depicted by a ram with two horns. Look at verse 7. As I saw him come close unto the ram, the ram is the Medo-Persian Empire, and he was moved with Chola against him and smote the ram and brake his two horns, and there was no power in the ram to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and stamped upon him, and there was none that could deliver the ram out of his hand. And that was the end of the Medo-Persians. As for the Greek Empire under Alexander the Great, depicted by the goat with that notable or conspicuous horn, look again at verse 8. Therefore the he-goat, Alexander the Great, waxed very great, and when he was strong, the great horn was broken. Or rather, that's the Greek Empire, the, the, the goat, and that <coughs> horn that was broken, Alexander the Great broken, gone, finished. Let's not lose sight of the fact that this vision in chapter 8 was given to Daniel 
before any of it came to pass. What does that tell you? It was a God-given vision and it was all fulfilled in accordance with God's good pleasure. The word of God tells us so here. It was all accomplished in God's time. God controls all things, the rise of empires, their fall, as history unfolds. Who is doing the unfolding? Do you think it's us? It's Almighty God, according to his purposes, according to his good pleasure, for his glory. Whether it's the rise and fall of empires or anything else for that matter, God is in control. And thank God for that. As it is written in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 21 through to 25, Have ye not known? Have ye not heard? Have it not been told you from the beginning? Have ye not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers. That's us, grasshoppers. That stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. That bringeth the princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity, as nothing. Yea, they shall not be planted. Yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth. And he shall also blow upon them. There we have it again. The Lord Jesus Christ just blows on them. That's it. And they shall wither. And the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. To whom then will ye liken thee? Or shall I be equal? Saith the Holy One. I don't know about you, but when I'm reading that, I just feel as if I should take my shoes off for I stand on holy ground when I read words like that and fall prostrate before Almighty God. In this fallen world of bloodthirsty Islamic caliphates and extremely unstable nuclear powers that breathe out threatenings and murders and totalitarian dictatorships and who knows what else, all with global ambitions that inevitably cause harm and suffering not only to their enemies but also to those who are in subjection to them. Death and misery to so many. There are various things that each one of you can do in this world that we live in. You can bury your head deep in the sand, right up to your ankles, and pretend that everything is just fine. And it's very easy to do that when you live on this little island home of ours. Because, in a way, we we seem to be a million miles from it all, don't we? At least for now. Or you can be filled with fear and with despair, Or, if you're a Christian, you can draw strength and you can draw comfort from the God of your salvation who is in control of everything. You draw on his grace and you persevere. Not only do you persevere, you do so with joy. 
a deep inner joy and with that peace that passes all understanding while those around you bury their heads in the sand or are fearful, you rejoice in your Saviour. As the Lord Jesus Christ said to the Roman governor Pontius Pilate before he laid down his life at the cross, at the cross, thou couldst have no power at all against me except it were given thee from above. And as we can read in Acts chapter 2, when, we, when wicked men took him and nailed him to a cross and crucified him, it was all done by the predeterminate counsel and the foreknowledge of God. God had decreed it that the Lord Jesus Christ should lay his life down as a ransom for many, for all who trust in him as their saviour from sin. Last of all, we've considered a ram, we've considered a he-goat. Last of all, how about we consider a lamb? You're not going to find it in there, don't bother to look for it in the chapter. But we'll consider a lamb anyway. But before we do that, listen to some of the ways that the Old Testament describes how God deals with sin. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 34, the Lord said, I will remember their sins no more. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, the Lord said, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. In Psalm 103, verse 12, It is written, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. And in Micah, in Micah, chapter 7, verse 19, it is written, he will turn again, he will have compassion upon us, he will subdue our iniquities, and thou wilt cast all their sins into the depth of the sea. You can leave the book of Daniel now, and let's turn to the New Testament, to John chapter 1, verse 29, as we consider a very special lamb indeed. John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day John, that's John the Baptist, seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. John the Baptist there, he prepared men's hearts for the coming of Jesus and we see in that verse that he heralded the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. What is written in that verse there, that verse 29, is also an example of how God deals with sin. 
The Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Lamb of God, taketh away sin, according to verse 29. Not only that, but the Greek word that is translated taketh away, it also means to bear or to carry. As such, at the cross, the sacrificial Lamb of God carried in his own body the sins of all the people in the world throughout all generations who have repented and trusted in him. What's more, the Lamb of God, having carried those sins, took those sins away. Every single one of them carried the sins, took them away. Dumped them in the middle of the sea, if you like. Gone forever. Isn't that truly amazing? No wonder that in verse 29, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God. Therefore, dear Christian, with the eye of faith, not only are you to look upon the great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who saved you by his grace and who will take you home to heavenly glory where he is, but you are to behold him. You are to continually keep your focus fixed upon Jesus throughout all your trials and all your tribulations. I want to finish by bringing your attention to the last book of the Bible. There's no need to keep your finger anywhere else. Just turn to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6 verse 15 to the end of the chapter. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman, that's every slave, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? If you're not yet trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, you really ought to be afraid. In those verses there, we have a scene whereby people from the least to the greatest are trying to hide from not just a lamb, but a, a, a lamb who is angry. Hide us from the wrath of the lamb. Have you ever seen a lamb that is angry? I haven't. I lived on a, on a farm for the first year when I came to this island. That was something for me, having, coming over from London to live on a farm, but I, I never did see an angry lamb. I don't suppose any of you have. We have it here, don't we? Verse 16 again. All these people from the least to the greatest and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come. 
and who shall be able to stand? What do you think that's talking about? The Lamb who has wrath and the day of his wrath has come and who shall be able to stand before him? The judgment. It's the judgment. All judgment has been committed to the Lord Jesus Christ by his Father. And that is a scene of the judgment that is to come. People imagining that the rocks will hide them from the one who created the rocks and everything else. The Lord Jesus Christ, who laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of his hands. And yet these people will say to the rocks, hide us from the Lamb. It's not going to happen, is it? It's not going to happen. So, if you are not yet trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, as your Saviour from sin, you really ought to be afraid. In fact, you ought to be very afraid. Don't be afraid of anything that's happening in this world, but be afraid of Jesus. It's not my job to try and frighten anyone into the kingdom. But if I can give you a reality check, then so be it. There is nothing more important than to repent and trust in Jesus as your saviour from sin. You really don't want to be someone on that day shouting to the rocks, hide us! Hide me from the wrath of the Lamb. It's not going to happen, as I've already said. It really isn't. Far better to trust in Christ, having repented, shown repentance towards God. Trust in Jesus as your Saviour, the one who was lifted up to die on a cross, bearing your sins, taking your sins away, having lived a perfect life, of obedience on your behalf. Far better to trust in him and to join the happy throng of believers who proclaim, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and blessing. Amen.